Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, Foo followers everywhere, and welcome to the first episode of season five of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. My name is Ben Johnson, and it is a privilege to be back with you all. I do hope you are well and safe and healthy wherever you are in the world's listening to this. Before we get into it, I did just want to tell you all about this month's competition. We have teamed up with Eureka Entertainment here in the UK to give away three copies of their new Blu-ray release of Choi Hark's classic 1983 Hong Kong action fantasy film Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain. It's a wonderful film, and to be in with a chance of winning a copy of the movie, simply sign up now to our newsletter at kungfumovieguide.com. You can do this either by inputting your email address when prompted or via the homepage. Once you have then verified your email address, you will be automatically entered into our mailing list. Full competition details will be released in our April newsletter, which will be sent out on the 30th of April, so that's next Thursday. Become a registered Foo follower today and be in with a chance of winning a free copy of the amazing new Blu-ray release of Zoo Warriors. The Blu-ray really is fantastic. It's packed full of amazing special features and it is available to buy right now from Amazon and EurekaVideo.co.uk. So if you're entering the competition, best of luck to you. Okay, let's get on with it then. This is episode 50 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast, featuring a very special conversation with none other than Gareth Evans. So, without any further ado, let's get on with it. Here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. Hello, 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 food followers everywhere around the world. Welcome back to the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Thank you all so much for joining me. It is an absolute pleasure to be back here again with you all for a fifth season of the show. And oh boy, what a great guest we have on the show today to kick off the brand new season of podcasts. I can't wait to share this one with you all. It's my conversation with the director of Marantau, The Raid and The Raid 2. It's none other than Gareth Evans. He is on the show today, a very exciting guest. I think you'll agree. I will get into the detail on all of this and how this conversation came about in a second. But first of all, I think we do need to address this damn virus, which continues to be causing widespread turmoil and anxiety pretty much everywhere in the world right now. I am speaking to you the day before this episode actually 
goes out on the 20th of April 2020. And I know that countries around the world are at different levels of lockdown at the moment. Some countries across Asia, I know, are slowly getting back to normal or some form of normality. And I know in parts of Europe, shops and some businesses are are starting to reopen. And also I realise that uh, particularly in certain parts of America, they're still very much in the thick of it when it comes to you know, getting a handle on this thing. So personally, I just wanted to start by extending my heartfelt best wishes to you all, the loyal Foo followers around the world who do listen to this show. I hope you're all following the guidance that your respective governments are telling you to do. It is for your own best interests and the interests of those around you. And most of all, I just hope that you're staying strong, both physically and mentally. And most importantly, you're staying safe during these particularly strange times that we're living through. Um, I'm going to be recording a lot of this from our little spare room here, uh, here in the UK for the time being. It's just me and my girlfriend and the dog here in this flat. And we are still pretty much on on a strict lockdown here in the UK. So I guess if there's any upside to all of this, I have been able to spend the last few weeks recording many conversations with people involved in martial arts movies and I'm super excited to be able to share those conversations with you and release those throughout the year. If nothing else, hopefully this show can provide a bit of a distraction from everything that's going on in the world right now and I do very much hope you enjoy this new season of podcasts. As always, the plan is to release new episodes every two weeks on a Monday. So in order to make sure that you don't miss a new episode, do make sure that you subscribe to the show using your podcast provider. You can also keep up to date with the podcast, of course, via our usual social media channels. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So the last time that I spoke to you all, it would have been for our 2019 end of year show with Mike Fury. That already seems like so long ago. And so much has happened and changed since then. But anyway, I wanted to flag up to you all that Mike's new book, Life of Action Volume 2, is available to buy right now. I know that we talked about it a little bit on that show. Mike hasn't actually told me to do this and plug the book in any way, but he is a good friend and I know he's worked long and hard putting that book together. It's a great read. I'm reading it right now. And there's lots of great interviews with people involved in the action film industry. There's interviews with the likes of Zoe Bell, Michael Jai White, Frank Grillo, Kelly Hugh, Tony Jar. It's an awesome book and you can buy it right now from MikeFury.net and wherever it is that you buy your books. This also acts as quite a nice segue into talking about my guest on today's episode of the show. Gareth Evans is also featured in Mike's book Life of Action Volume 2. Gareth is of course the filmmaker behind a trio of Indonesian action films, which you may have heard of. Uh, Marantau from 2009, The Raid from 2011 and The Raid 2 from 2014. These three films helped to launch the careers of a whole new generation of action stars, including people like Iko Uwais, and they also helped to put Indonesian action cinema on the map, particularly in the case of The Raid and The Raid 2, which are two of probably the best contemporary martial arts films of modern times. 
That's not bad going for a young filmmaker originally from South Wales. Uh, We do explore his upbringing and his journey, which led him to Indonesia, which is where he lived for seven years, before returning back home to Wales in 2015, which is where he still currently lives with his family. Gareth has since brought his highly visceral filmmaking style back to the UK, where he has explored new mediums and genres, most notably in 2018 with his British gothic horror film Apostle, that is available on Netflix now, if you want to check out Apostle, and he has a new TV series called Gangs of London, All nine episodes of Gangs of London will premiere on the 23rd of April on Sky Atlantic here in the UK. That's this Thursday. Reading from the Sky Atlantic website, it says, Gangs of London tells the story of a city being torn apart by the turbulent power struggles of the international gangs that control it and the sudden power vacuum that's created when the head of London's most powerful crime family is assassinated. The show was co-created by Gareth working alongside Matt Flannery, his long-time DOP and a collaborator since his university days. And we should make a special shout-out to the show's stunt coordinator, Jude Poyer, who does get mentioned quite a few times during this conversation. Jude did appear on episode 48 of this show where he talks in a bit more detail about the action design on gangs and also his work with Gareth on Apostle. So if you are interested in Gareth's films and his filmmaking style and you want to learn a little bit more about how he pieces action sequences together, then I do recommend you go back and check out my conversation with Jude Poyer on this podcast. This conversation was recorded back in early March of this year when Gareth was over in London, which is why we did manage to record this episode in person, face to face, back when that was a perfectly acceptable thing to be able to do. Uh, There are actually quite a few more episodes coming up in this season where I did manage to conduct face to face interviews just before the lockdown. This episode was recorded at my usual haunt here in London at the Actors Centre in Soho. So again, a big shout out to the people who run that place. Thank you all so much for being so accommodating, as always. And also a quick language warning uh, ahead of this episode. There is a little bit of swearing in amongst all the kung fu chatter. So if you are bothered about that or Maybe if you've got small children running around, if they're on lockdown with you or if they're in the vicinity while this is playing, then you have been warned there is a little bit of swearing on this episode. Okay, I do hope you enjoy this one, Food Followers. It was an absolute treat to be able to sit with Gareth Evans and talk to him in this way. It's quite a rambly conversation, but I do hope you enjoy it. It's a great pleasure to be back with you all thank you again so much for all of your support since you've been away and sending me loads of messages and comments on things that is much appreciated thank you all so much i'm going to stop talking now and i'm going to hand over to my conversation which was recorded in person with the great filmmaker gareth evans Okay, let's let's just jump straight in with uh, Gangs of London. Yes, this is yours and Matt Flannery's thing. It's based on a video game. Yeah. Is that right? So basically, what happened was is a 
Christ, probably just after the Ray 2 had been made and released and everything else, I was working on action design for a film called Blister that was going to be my first American project. Sure. Um, and then subsequently that fell by the wayside. And then um, during the previous process of Blister, uh, Thomas Bensky and Lucas Ochoa from Pulse Films came out to visit me in Indonesia and they'd been pitching me the idea of Gangs of London because I think they had the rights to the PSP gotcha. game um, but they kind of had an idea of turning it into a franchise of feature films yes. and that was really the initial sort of approach and initial concept so it was a film to begin with yes yeah, it yeah. was supposed to be a film to begin with but then I had played the game on the PSP and I was familiar with it yeah. but I wasn't so interested in doing like a film franchise out of it because I just felt like London in itself, and one of the things I love about London and traveling through London, the same as whenever I went to New York, was the idea you could be on any street and hear 10 different languages being spoken. Sure, yeah. And so we wanted the, the show, we wanted the world of this thing to feel quite diverse. And if you take that into a film version, in each film, each installment, you could pretty much only spend about 15 to 20 minutes with your sort of side characters. Yeah. We'd end up having to be a centralized story that would take up the bulk of the, the running time, yeah. at least two thirds of it. And so it wouldn't allow us to fully explore the sort of the richness of the diversity of a city like London. Yes. Yeah. And so me and Matt then, I mean, I, Matt has always been a key collaborator of mine, not just as a DOP, but for everything I've done up until now, he's always been the guy that gets to read my first draft of everything I do. And you, you go back to uh, uni days with Matt. Uni days, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. we knew each other since my second year of uni when sure. I needed to find a place to live there and then he was looking for a roommate with his with, with another friend of ours from uni and so we all shared a house together for a year wow. and that's how me and Matt first got to know each other yeah. and yeah. it was just a case of making short films and being like Here, here's a camera can you please shoot this for me because yeah. I knew he had an interest in photography and that was sort of the starting point mm. but Matt in uni had a writer's background because he was doing um, he had one course where he was like to write a novel Sure. Um, so Matt always had a writer's background. So go back to I used to give him the scripts. He'd give me notes back on every first draft I ever written yeah, about everything. Wow. And so when it came to this project, I was I said to the guys at Pulse, there shouldn't be uh, a, a feature film franchise. There should be long form narrative. There should mm -hmm. be a TV show so that we can have episodes that shift the focus away from the central characters and focus more on some of the side characters. That we can explore the diversity, the cultural backgrounds of different characters yeah, then yeah. more thoroughly than we would in a in a feature film landscape. Yeah. And they seemed really game for that. And um, basically, I had had a concept for something that I was planning to do out in Southeast Asia before. But in Southeast Asia, especially in Indonesia, I would never get the budget to do this kind of show I wanted to do. Sure. And the concept for that was the idea of you're in somewhere like you know Jakarta or somewhere. And this mob boss who has kind of ruled the roost over everyone and has kind of like held the peace between different yeah. factions of different people, whether they be from Malaysia or Singapore or from Thailand or from the Philippines. So we could have all these different gangs uh, yeah. co co cobbled together. And it would start with the funeral of that mob boss that maintained the peace. And then what would be the fallout of that? What yes. would be the power vacuum that would emerge as a result of the death of this king? Yeah, yeah. And so that was my initial concept. And I said, well, what if we transpose that to London? What if that's our central uh, story thread? And so they responded to that. And then one of my big things then was the idea of talking to Matt and being like, I don't want to just send you the first draft of this. I want you to be part of it. I want you to be engaged in the storyline with me. Figure out what we're going to do with the characters, the emotions, the, the, the family dynamics and everything else. So we both collectively came together as co-creators on the show. Then. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we got to work and 
started the very first thing we did was built a like a family uh what you call it, sorry the, the the map of a family yeah. family maps or anything and then we put one of those up on the wall and we were able to say right these guys are going to be in charge of like you know the heroin these guys are in charge of racketeer and these yeah. guys are in charge of, and then we started to delineate and look for where the factions would be where the rivalries would exist sure, and sure. what were the relationships who could be siding with whom who could form an allegiance and an alliance and who could be you know, at each other's throats. And that was sort of really helpful then to sort of structure mm. the, the overall thing. Someone chose to kill Finn Wallace. Today we mourn the loss of a great man. But tomorrow it will be business as usual. Mm. Everything stops. Until I find out who killed him. We wanted it to have enough that grounds it in reality, but we didn't want it to become something that would have the sort of, you know, shoulder the responsibility of being a social statement. Yeah. So that was something we weren't keen on. We were because we knew that what we were going to do was, you know, take these you know blistering action set pieces into sort of like the realms of sort of heightened reality, mm-hmm. like you know, a mm-hmm. little bit of fantastical sort of yeah. elements to them. Um, you know, nothing beyond the sort of the the, the 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 sort of the style of action that we've done previous. Yeah, sure. But um, you know, but even then. They kind of, they they sort of they they stretch the sort of the logic a little bit. You know, they 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 kind of like, they have to feel like real fights, but at the same time, the endurance of the performers is is such, and the sort of the the, the duration of those fights is quite long. So then, by proxy of that, it feels more heightened. You've got a great cast here. Mm. You're not necessarily working with fighters. Or no. people with a physical background. I know that you've done this in the past on, on Apostle as well. How can you do the style of action that you want to achieve and that you've set quite a high standard for, you know, with people who don't have yeah. E-Waste's background? Yeah, I think, I think for that, we just got very, very lucky. Yeah. Um, one, of our, one of the co-leads of the show, Shopei Dirisu, is um, a phenomenal talent. We had all these great performers who were delivering amazing performances on a dramatical level. Yeah, yeah. And then Shopey comes in and he's like playing one of the co-leads, Elliot. And part of the challenge with the character like Elliot was we knew he was going to have set pieces. We yeah. knew that he was going to have one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. We knew he was going to have big brawls. And so it was imperative to us that whoever was going to play that role would also you know, not just do the sort of traditional, here's your drama, piece of drama, now go and do an audition for it, but it was also, you need to do a fight assessment. And so then Jude's team would come into play for that. So they would do fight assessments for us. Mm -hmm. And then um, Chris Webb, one of Jude's, uh, uh, one of the Jude's stunt team members, who's who's an incredible uh, human being, I love him to bits. He would, um, he he, he went off and did an assessment on Chopin. And so Chopin came in and, you know, he'd already wowed us in terms of his dramatic heft and stuff like that. And then, like maybe 20 minutes later, Chris comes back down the stairs and he's just kind of like, you know, through the window of our door giving a big thumbs up because Chopin was just very naturally adept at handling action. Yeah. And so, you know, whenever you do anything like this with a, with, a, with someone who's predominantly an actor first, mm-hmm. you start to look for it. It's the same like when we had um, with Julie for the Ray 2 with mm-hmm. this Hammer Girl. Um, I was always wondering, okay, well, how are we going to how are we going to handle the stuff where we might need to swap out for a double? Yeah. Um, for her, it was a lot harder because, you know, we don't get that many female stunt performers in Indonesia that we could sure. use as a double. Um, and she handled it 100% herself. Um, but then, you know, when you when you shoot in a TV show, you start thinking, right, okay, we might have to look for getting extra coverage yeah. with a, a double here and a double there. But Shopei was so impressive that we were able to give him 
um, stretches of choreography that we really had no right to give him. Right. So you know, he he's become this like this this amazing sort of diamond that we've just kind of like we we feel like we've we've we found this amazing talent now yeah. who's capable of everything: the performance, the drama, yeah. drama, but then also the action as well. Yeah. yeah. We would do in scenes where we had like one-on-one fights where for like two days because we were just shooting fight scenes all day for yeah. two days that uh, after about two days in I was starting to treat him like a fighter I was I was sort of like expecting him to just yeah okay we'll, we'll go again then yeah. you know not not really kind of like you know treating him like I would with an actor where it's sure. like are you alright is everything okay <laughs> da, 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 da. are you comfortable can you go again I'd just be like yeah you can do this next next take let's go again yeah um, and then you know, we would shoot the, a four-day sequence where day three you'd always start with the end of the fight because yeah. we, we shoot we shoot in chronological order for the first two days. And then on day three we shoot the very end just to make sure that we've got the end of scene. Yes. And then we work our way back then to get there to make sure that if we do have to drop choreography, we know where we're pulling from. Yeah. And we're not yeah, having yeah. to suddenly scramble and figure out the ending again. Yeah, yeah. We start shooting the tail end and the tail end is where all the drama lay in that scene. And he comes in, and I've been treating him as a fighter, treating him as a fighter for two days straight. And he came in, and then all of a sudden I'm watching the monitor, and he just delivers this amazing emotional performance. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah, he's an actor. Yeah. And then you start to get that reminder, then you're like, okay, this kid's got a huge amount of talent. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've become the sort of like the, 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 the sort of honorary member now of the, the Show yeah. Bay fan club. So, yeah. Working in television, I mean, that's a new thing for mm. you. How did you find all that process? So it's it's different. It's um it's a challenge. I think like on shorter a, shooting schedules, sh- I guess. Yeah, um, it's mainly the le- less days in a way. Yeah. But um, you know it, that that's part of the course, really. And and you kind of what well, what we would try to do is is not change our approach to film and action, mm. but be realistic with what we thought we could achieve in that period of the time. So yeah. if we knew we had a three day shoot, we knew that okay, well let's not go crazy and expect to get 60 different shots or something or other yeah. for a sequence or go wild and near where it stunts left, right and centre. Yeah. But we would pick the right moments to do the big stuff and then make sure that there was enough creative, um, creatively interesting moments within those fights that you know they would stand up and hold their own then. Yeah. So we knew we, would, we, knew we were going to be doing something that was quite challenging and quite ambitious and had a lot of scope. Um, and I guess for our side, we just wanted to be able to kind of like come out at the end of it and be like, when it came to the, the, you know, at least for the episodes that we were doing, to be able to say, well, I think we've pushed the barrier a little bit in terms of what's what's considered action for television. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I mean, like, you know, looking back on some of the sequences, we were like, actually, we feel like for some of the sequences, we might have done that for cinema too. Yeah. So it was actually quite um, quite exciting <laughs> to kind of be in the midst of that and be seeing it come together. I know we've yeah. got one sequence in Ep 5 where it's a huge siege on a house um, that... Yeah, we had no right doing that on TV. Um, like you know, it, we 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 just we just threw everything at it. Yeah. We were just going for broke at that yeah. point. We thought, fuck it, let's just push it as far as we possibly can. I know my conversations with Jude. I think he said that uh, some of the work that he's done on 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 this Gangs of London, some of the you know best that uh, <laughs> that he's ever done. Yeah, I, I I feel quite I feel the same for yeah. for some of that stuff as well. You yeah. know, there's certain sequences in there where they just. They, they stand up. I mean, I've watched them all like a thousand times now mm. because you just do in the editing process. Are you in a place now, Gareth, where you can sort of pick and choose your projects, I'm guessing? I mean... Um, I'm, I'm horribly stubborn with stuff. So it's like when I get offered things, I got to know that I want to make every frame of it yeah. before I can commit. So... It's probably why I haven't taken anything which has been kind of like, you know, considered tentpole or big or anything. 
not that I've necessarily been offered the Big Ten poll stuff, but it's like in the past, whenever I've been sent scripts for things which I've you know subsequently gone on to actually see come out and be released, it's always been you know um, you know if 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 there are like ten pages of a script that I just can't get my head around or I can't sort of like respond or relate to, mm-hmm. and it feels like there's not going to be any kind of budge in the sort of the writing of that, or, yeah. or if there might be a studio insistence, then I, I don't know how I could then direct those 10 pages of that script with any degree of confidence and commitment of knowing when I've got it and when I haven't got it because sure. if I can't see it I can't direct it yeah yeah so um I'm a little stubborn in terms of that so in terms of like picking the things I want to do usually it's it's a case of um and up until now I've written everything that I've done and so a large part of it is finding what's the story or what's the sort of idea that makes me passionate about it yeah um so, you know, with the parcel, which was like a, a massive departure in terms of the stuff I've done in the past. Absolutely. It was, it was partly a conscious decision of wanting to come back and do something that was different. Yep. Play within a genre that I felt I had some experience with before, having done the short film for VHS 2. Um, so dipping my toes back into horror was quite fun. And then also the opportunity, opportunity to play within a different sort of um, visual landscape, something that wouldn't be necessarily sort of, you know, the... The concrete of the city, exactly, and yeah. and and also to 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 play with tension in in different ways, and not for it to just be about oh here's another set piece coming up. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, and, uh, and and I thought I think that's such a brave but quite an admirable move to do that as well mm. because basically everyone wanted the raid three. Yes, uh, yeah, and you uh, must even to this day you must get sick and tired of people. Um, not sick and tired. <laughs> um, it's 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 a weird thing. It is because it's like I get it a lot, mm. um, and I get a lot of comments. The ones that are interesting are the ones where it's almost like um, like I owe it, or like yeah. there's, a, there's like such yeah. a. F- a strong demand exactly. it's like you know, how dare you make anything else yeah. um, and I guess for me it's like that that part of my life has kind of passed now mm. I, I, I loved making the first two films and I had a blast making them and I love the people who I made them with mm-hmm. um, but I felt like there was nowhere really where I could take the story anymore mm. um, I had like I had a concept for it I had an idea for it but it was so such a departure from the first two Yeah, I can't guarantee that the audience would have liked what I had planned for the third one anyway, you know, and, and, and enough time has kind of gone by now. I mean, it's been weirdly, it's been almost six years now since we released the Ray two. It's insane. And so six years have gone by and it's like, you know, the third would have picked up immediately after the second one. So it's like, I think everyone's got, well, I know I feel like I've got more than six years worth of age on my face. Yeah. So <laughs> the idea of the other guys, I don't know, but, um, and they're ridiculously busy now as they well. They are ridiculously so busy, there's that. um, which is great, which yeah, is like, it's, it's a weird little source of pride there that they've like, you know, to see the, the extent with which Eco's career has just Fantastic. skyrocketed Fantastic. has been yeah. incredible. And so. Yayan. And, and Yayan as well. Yeah. All the yeah, boys well, and Joe Tasm yeah. as well. Who's like in everything. Exactly. So yeah, no, it's, being, it's it's one of those things it's always a compliment it's never not a compliment to have somebody want you to make a film that they want to see I mean you know that's yeah. that in itself is is, is ridiculously complimentary um, but yeah I, th- I think in a way I've always had that thing in the back of my mind where I'm just kind of like you know I, and I don't I try not to respond too much to it anymore yeah. I used to I used to I used to be like you know oh, I'm really sorry but no I don't have plans for it now and <laughs> I felt like I was just angering people all the time whenever I'd said no sure um, but I you're going to anger the internet anyway. I think anyway. so. That's yeah, just I, the think, way I think that's works, inevitable. Think, yeah. But I think for me, it's like I always kind of want to. <laughs> my 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 sort of like inner reply is always, 
wait to see what's next because you might really like what's next yeah. um, and whether that be gangs or whether that be havoc I feel like we've got ideas we've got things which are bubbling away you know that that can hopefully be you know if they love the raid then they'd love this yeah. you know yeah. what I mean so that sort of brings up another challenge doesn't it I guess if you've made your name doing the raid the raid 2 which has you know some of the best fight scenes certainly modern times what a pressure that is. I mean, do you do you feel that pressure sometimes if you're um, going back into that world? It's it's weird. It's like sometimes you sometimes like I I don't tend to rewatch them that often, mm. but every now and then I might catch a some a glimpse of something. Sure. And so for me it's like yeah, I'll see things where I'm like, oh shit, we really nailed that shot and that cut. And you know, and you, you might I might see something and be like, you know what, I don't really know how I'd improve upon this one little beat here. Yeah. But there's like Another eighty percent. Then where I'm like, oh, I should have tightened this up. Should oh, tighten really? That up. Yeah, I'll, 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 even on the range, I'll scrutinise the hell out of everything yeah. we do. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I'll, I'll notice the little, the little, you know, half a second gap of someone not reacting properly yet, yeah. or you know, I, you know, I know, I know all the stuff behind the scenes that we went through in order to make it. Like I know that one guy who was playing one of the SWAT team guys that's guarding the door or something. Or there's a sequence where Yandy, one of the other stunt guys, is charging down the corridor towards him, hiding the gun behind his back. Yeah. And then he pulls the gun out of nowhere and shoots him in the face. And the guy, you know, spotty spins and hits the deck. I remember when we shot that because the, the guy who was given the reaction, he didn't give us a react, good reaction for about seven or eight takes. And by the end of it, we punched the camera in a bit closer and I was stood behind him with my arms up inside his flak jacket ready to pull him and yank him down on top of oh, me wow. just to get the reaction. So, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where you see all these little shots where it's like, for me, I just see, I see all of the imperfections I, yeah. and, and I see every inch of the artifice. So yeah. whether it's uh, the set that didn't look quite right or or the, the, the movement of the camera didn't quite work the way we wanted it to. I can't, I can't not see those things anymore sure. in both Raid and the Raid 2. Yeah. Um, so when you were getting the type of reviews that came out when mm. the Raids came out, yeah. I mean, were you surprised well, at that? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the first one, for sure. Yeah. Like the first one, because it just hit, hit, hit us as much as a surprise as it did for the audience watching it. Because mm. um, we, we didn't know that what we'd done was going to be considered that special yeah you know we just we just felt like oh christ that was like a long shoot and an arduous process and hopefully everyone enjoys it you know but then you know i'll never forget the first time we screened the first film it was amazing it was such an incredible experience we were in um toronto for the midnight madness and you know eco was sat next to me and then every time the audience would clap or cheer or respond he would elbow me in the ribs and by the end of the film, I don't think I had a rib left because he was just—he just kept elbowing me the entire time. He's got some tough elbows as well. He, yeah, he yeah. does. Yeah, one person you don't want yeah. to elbow you in the ribs is Eco. But I mean, we—you know—it was me, Eco, Matt, and um, Joe Tazim. We were all up in Toronto at the mm-hmm. time, and you know, we spent the entire night just trolling through Twitter, just reading people's reactions to the films, and we just couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. We went to bed till about four or five a.m. Yeah, we amazing. just couldn't—we just couldn't believe what was happening. Watch out! You know, it's such a privilege anyway to be able to be um, to be able to call what we do a career to call yeah. it a job it's yeah. absolutely insane it's yeah. like you know I, I said to someone the other day I said you know, it's like I'll sit down in, 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 in my lounge or uh, you know in my kitchen with the laptop on the table and then I'll just decide somebody is going to say something or walk somewhere or do something and then I'm going to convince someone else then to spend you know a huge amount of money to employ hundreds of people to go ahead and then make sure that that place I wanted him to be in exists and yeah. then 
we're going to document document an actor pretending to be that person yeah. who's then going to say that line. It's ludicrous. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. That, and then, and then not only that, but it's like we're going to then expect people to want to watch it. Mm. It's such a bizarre yeah. job. It's such yeah. a weird career, you know. Yeah, for someone like yourself, who you know, you're you're there in the in the process right at the very start. Yeah, that to you is 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 crucial. Would you say to have that level of involvement right right from the from the blank page? Um, yeah, I think for me, yes. Um, I just don't really know how to do it any other way. Yeah. Um, it's the same when it came to the idea of, oh, I'm going to start making martial arts films mm. and action films. Mm. Like, you know, initially when I was in my sort of like late teens, early 20s, I thought, oh, I might make European art house films. Yeah. Like, I was more interested in those films. I was more interested in, you know, um, Japanese sort of like, you know, dramas and sort of like, you know, pretty extreme stuff like with, you know, Kitano Mike and things like that. But yeah, I, I yeah, wanted yeah. those more sort of like, you know, obscure films. Um, and, and and so I never thought I'd be doing, you know, cool popcorn action films yeah. and stuff, you know, <laughs> martial arts films. Like that wasn't really on my, my plan. Yeah. Uh, and then and then it, it kind of it came to me and then really the approach that I've taken for all of those films came out of a fear of failing at them. Mm. So the the previous process and then designing the action the way we do where we design it within an inch of its life figure out the shots and the edits yeah. before we even step foot on anything called yeah. production um, was essential it was a mm. safety net yeah. I learned a lot by watching a lot of the guys who were doing like you know YouTube channels and stuff yeah. like that and doing their own independent action stuff I yeah. learned from what they were doing in order to kind of uh, attribute that to whatever I was going to make out in Indonesia and really that was the sort of the, the learning curve yeah. was, was just going out there and just practicing it yeah. I mean a lot of well I think we made about two or three little test fight videos that we've never ever released online with Eco and some of the guys okay. where it was like literally me learning how to first of all operate this ridiculously large camera that we had um, um, and then you know having the guys all turn up in the gymnasium we just shot a couple of fight stuff yeah. bits and pieces you know Yayan looks very very different back then he's super <laughs> young and fresh faced um, and then we did another one in, in, the, in the underground car park of our office where we shot down a different camera again but it was just it was like it was an opportunity to kind of you know to, to learn and, and not worry about failing in those because they yeah. were just really cheap and cheerful yeah. you know yeah yeah you're still in touch with Eco and yeah uh, yeah, 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 just, yeah we just spoke to him yesterday yeah. you know we obviously we, we talk every now and then not as often as I think either of us would like but you yeah. know but it's it's that it's that thing of being in a t- totally different country and different time zones and then yeah. you know every now and then I'll catch up and I'll be like, oh, how was such and such project? You know, or congratulations, are you doing this project? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Normally it's him doing all this other stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he's like, what are you up to? And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just writing. <laughs> you know? But um, no, it's, it's, it's good. I chat to Eco and Joe quite often and stuff like that. I chat to Yayan every now and then. Obviously, I had Yayan and Chechep come over at one point a couple of years ago when we moved to UK to do a little short film. We did yeah. little tests of some stuff Great. just to play with PG-13 action for yeah. something. But, um, <laughs> But you know, it was so it's it's good to kind of hear from them and see what they're up to. And yeah, everything yeah. Else. Do you foresee a time of working with them again? Do you think? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Um, for for sure, I think we, we've we me and Nico are always kind of. I think almost every single conversation we have, whenever we do talk, because sometimes it might be like a month or two where we don't talk for a bit, and then yeah. we'll catch up, and then we'll be like, "Oh shit, how are you doing? I haven't talked to you for a while. How are the kids? And how are the family?" Yeah. And then um, I think every time we end our conversation, it's always always like. Oh, we should work together again. Yeah, yeah. I got the story, and then he's like, "Oh, okay. Uh, how, how's how's it going with the story?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna write it soon. I'm gonna write it soon." But I haven't written it yet. Yeah. And so that was even true of yesterday when I spoke to him last. I was like, "I got the story, but I haven't written it down yet. 
I'll get onto it. Yeah, I'll get onto it. And I do have a concept. I do have a thing that I'd love to do with him. It'd be very different. It'd probably be um, more of a period set thing. Yeah, so I think okay. I'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't tried that in terms of martial arts. Yeah. To be honest, if I'm going to do full on martial arts film, I'd love to do something that was more period set as opposed yeah. to something contemporary again. Because I think I've done that three times now. Yeah. So I wouldn't mind having a bit of a different challenge in that respect. Oh. <laughs> oh. 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 <laughs> what are you going to do now? Try again? <laughs> You're from South Wales. Yes. What was your childhood like? Um, amazing. Uh, you know, loving parents, yep. very supportive. Yeah. Um, never. Even though I, when I was really, really young, I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. And then I realised very early on that I can't act, and so then I started writing and you know, notepads, just writing little scripts down. Not really knowing how to format scripts or just writing it down, and. Um, Never had anything other than encouragement from my parents. Mm. Thankfully, we didn't have a video camera. So there's no existence of anything that, you know, me and my friends were planning to do at that time. Sure. Because we were like, we were going to do remakes of things. Yeah. We wanted to do remakes of Fist of Fury. Oh, of great. Big Trouble Little China. Yes, yes. Um, all these things. And we were like, it was always the same thing. We just get, get together in my back garden or somebody else's back garden. <laughs> and then just, you know, pretend that we were Bruce Lee. So I put yeah. on my plimsolls and vest and black tractor bottoms. And my mate would pretend to be the sort of the, the German guy with the curly hair. Yeah, great, um, So we'd do all of that stuff. And then, um, and, and so, yeah, but I just, you know, grew up gradually. I, I didn't want, I didn't learn to drive for a long time. So when I was like 17, 18, I never really asked for like, oh, can I get a car? Yeah. It was, can I get a camera? And that was the first thing I wanted. So I remember getting my first VHSC compact VHS camcorder um, and then just being able to suddenly shoot things and yeah. just, you know, film whatever the hell I could find and whatever I could. Yeah. But I didn't have any way to the into the industry, hmm. so uni helped with that. But you were into martial arts films. Yeah. yeah. So every every Saturday, um, or every other Saturday at least, would involve a trip to go and see the local rugby team Neath play rugby. Yeah. My dad's a massive rugby fan. Sure. But my dad's also a huge fan of cinema. Yeah. Um, and you know my dad introduced me to world cinema he also had an appreciation of like um, of Kurosawa and of you know some of the martial arts films as well so not as big a fan of me as me when it comes to martial arts but he introduced me to them so you know every Saturday would be on the way to the rugby would be a quick stop at the video shop and then you know we'd get to pick one or two films for the weekend yeah um, and then you know you come home from the rugby and then the first thing I couldn't wait to do was just to put one of the videos in and just yeah. play and watch yeah. we're talking uh, Hong Kong stuff here we, yeah, yeah I mean you know we had I mean my dad my dad was the one that introduced me to Armour of God and Police Story fantastic um, I remember when he rented that's Police, great parenting it's really great parenting <laughs> yeah. he's amazing um, I remember when my dad first rented Police Story I didn't know there was a Jackie Chan film because right. he just popped in the video shop I had to wait in the car mm. with my mum and he came back and back then like, you wouldn't get the actual case you'd get like the video shop case that's right yes. and then when I opened it up and it said police story none of that screamed Jackie Chan yeah I mean I just thought like oh, and I remember saying I don't want to have an American action film dad and he, he just knew that it was a Jackie Chan film but didn't tell me so sure. he was like no 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 it's my choice tonight yeah and so off we went to the rugby and then I moaned probably the entire day the entire way through the game came back and he was like right should we watch police story and I'd be like no don't want to watch it don't want to watch it and he knew and so he just put the tape in and he said come on sit down and watch with me and he pressed play and then all of a sudden up it came and like the boom 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 yes. and I was like wait it's Golden Harvest mm-hmm. and I you know, recognised the logo yeah, immediately yeah. and then when he said a Jackie Chan film 
that was it. Like I was just like, I so, couldn't be more attentive to yeah, the TV then. Yeah. Um, and I think after watching that, that was like a life changing mm. viewing. Mm. That film just blew my mind in yeah. terms of, oh my God, action films could be like this. Yes, yeah. Um, the dance of it. It's a modern day film yeah. as well, isn't it? But were you into the old school Kung Fu stuff as well? I, was I, that a thing that you... I was. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciated, I, I kind of, because I think my first way in was through Bruce Lee initially. So yeah. the first thing was like Enter the Dragon, yeah. which is like probably the biggest cliche that you can say, but it was, it was the first thing but I it's seen. true though, isn't it? That's, that's, that's it the It was one. the only one that, uh, it was the only martial arts film that a friend of a family member or, or, you know, or, or the parents of a friend would have owned yes. or would have had yes. recorded or something like that. You exactly. know what I mean? People who weren't into martial arts yeah. films knew Bruce Lee and knew that film. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, it was one of those at a friend's house and then their parents are just like, oh, just prepare to the dragon on. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, what's this? And then suddenly there's this real life superhero yeah. up on screen, yeah. um, which blew my mind. But um, yeah, I, I, so, I, but so you know, and the dragon was still contemporary, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. all of Bruce Lee's films were contemporary yeah. Yeah, yeah. to a degree, the yeah. 70s set, but you know, the contemporary still. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And then, um, and then with Jackie, the first, actually, weirdly, the first, first, first Jackie Chan film that I saw was only the first 15 minutes of Magnificent Bodyguards. Right. Um, I remember it being like, oh, who's this guy? And then... Why only the first Because minutes? my mum came in right as James, I think it was James Chan had, had, yeah. had just chopped off some guy's arms yes. and sliced his face off sure, yeah. and out yeah, came this guy missing finger. his arms and yeah. like half his face is hanging off yeah. and my mum who's always been pretty squeamish when it comes to violence so god bless her when it comes to the stuff that I make just came in and was like turn this off right now yeah. switched it off ejected the tape and she said no more Jackie Chan films in this house because she just thought that that's what that's his what stuff would like. be like yeah. so when my dad brought Armour of God in mm. which was my next Jackie Chan film the first yeah. one I watched from beginning to end yeah she was like, oh, Jackie Chan, no. And my dad was kind of like, no, 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 wait, because this is supposed to be really good. Yeah. So let's give it a try. Yeah. And then that was it. It was like mm-hmm. off to the races. And so like contemporary mainly. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then for me, like, you know, I know loads of people who kind of like sing the praises of like Drunken Master and, and, and love that film. And I love it too. But it wasn't the first one of that kind that, I fell in love with. Yeah, it didn't connect. For me, it was the Young Master. Yeah, because that was the first one I watched yeah. of that era, of that kind of yeah. period set in thing for Jackie Chan. I just remember absolutely adoring every second yeah. of that film. I yeah. thought it was incredible. I thought the stunt work was good. The humor yeah. was funny, um, and the final fight on the mountaintop was just amazing. It was yeah. just incredible. And yeah. Wang and Sick, I've always loved his martial arts skills. Great. I've always yeah. thought it was incredible. Yeah. So for me. Drunken Master was probably pretty late on for me mm. in terms of having already discovered Jackie and seen a lot of his work. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have the same 
love affair with that film as I do yeah. with something like Young Master or even Dragon Lord. Do you still draw from those films though in the work that you do now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. Like, I mean, like I, I, I love, I loved working with Eco when I was up in Indonesia. Mm. But then now, obviously, I've been working a lot with Jude. Yeah. And what I find, what I find is with Jude is like because he has a very similar sensibility to me mm. when it comes to like you know what we love in terms of action. Yeah. Um, and so when we we love what Jackie does. But we both love it when Sam was doing it. When, they, when yeah. Sam was choreographing and stuff. Yeah, it's course. got an extra bite to yeah. it. Yeah. And they feel like real fights. Yeah. So, and then that's been the sort of the remit. That's always been the sort of the, the, the thing that we've, the, the ethos that we've kind of like conducted ourselves with when it comes to the action design. We always say, oh, it can be really, you can have stylish moments, but it's got to feel like a real fight. If yeah. it doesn't feel like a real fight, then it doesn't get yeah. to be part of the choreography yes yes. so that's been part of the fun of designing stuff with Jude is that we always go back and we always look at those films I mean that golden era of 80s and early 90s you can't beat it you can't you know know, Jude's always kind of like you know showing me some stuff which you know Jude's encyclopedic in terms of knowledge of that kind of stuff so I I always feel like a charlatan when I'm around him I feel like I don't know anything (laughs) because he's showing me films I didn't even know existed yeah well, he's probably in yeah. after them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, <laughs> we found we found a lot of. Uh, that's the one fun thing as well. It's like it was all all of his mates who like just they like Mike Leader and stuff out in Hong yeah. Kong. Every now and then they'll just send me this weird picture of Jude in some terrible commercial. To so some yeah, some yeah. commercial that he did, and then I get to forward him to him, and we just take the piss out of mm. each other all the time. Then <laughs> your kung fu expertise is just not good enough. There are th- three three steps which kind of made me realize I wanted to do something through the film. I knew I had to do it. it was um, the first time I saw Boogie Nights I was in the cinema. There was the scene with Alfred Molina when they were doing the drug deal with yeah. the with the kid walking around setting firecrackers off. Sure. And it was so intense that this audience that had been laughing throughout the film and enjoying it and feeling like you're in this sort of like party environment, this atmosphere, suddenly in this one scene while Jesse's girl is playing on the cassette and all that, da, 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 everybody was just silent and on the edge of their seat. Yeah. And I remember it was this weird moment where I hadn't noticed it before in any of the film, but I was just sat there and I just suddenly became really aware of the power of what this film was able to do yeah. to a collective group of people. It was probably like 300, 400 people in that mm-hmm. screen and mm-hmm. we were all experiencing the same thing where we cared about the characters, we'd been dragged into this story and now we were sat there on tent hooks waiting for something to happen yeah. and I just remember thinking oh my god I want to be able to make people feel that way about something yeah, yeah. and there was, just, there was just a subconscious thing at the time then fast forward probably like a year or two and I remember being in uni probably second year uni and then uh, on TV they screened um, Full Tilt Boogie the documentary making of from Dust Till Dawn yeah. and you know I'd never had an insight into what uh, a film set was like yeah. No clue. So suddenly I was like, okay, well, this is what this is what making films is like. Oh, wow, I quite like this. This sort of this social aspect to yeah. it, um, and that everyone's kind of working hard together to create something. You know, whether it be something really serious, like you know, another behind the scenes thing was Magnolia, which really blew my mind. Yeah. But then you know, something very serious like Magnolia, but or something really fun and and pulpy like From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. It's all the same work. It's all the same amount of hours and yeah. the same amount of people. And that kind of like struck a chord with me, and I was like, I want, I want to know what that feels like. Mm. And then when I did Footsteps, then when I was probably like twenty five when we shot that, two thousand five, so we shot that, it. Two thousand five, yeah, two thousand six. It came out two thousand six. Yeah. We shot it two thousand five. I just remember um, 
because I took a sabbatical from work for like two months in order to shoot that thing. Yeah. I had a really cool boss, like Ellen Reese, God bless her, she's not with us anymore. And she she let me have time off from work. It was called Aken. They used to do sort of like um, Welsh language CD-ROMs or videos sure, and yeah. online courses. You speak Welsh. Unfortunately, I know I do not. No. Um, I do want to learn it. I really feel like a, you know, not, not like a, a, a personal pressure to do it. I just really want to. You know? yeah. There's something about being away in Indonesia that made me, you know, more in touch with sort of like my my more my patriotic mm. side but um but yeah. you have a thing with languages because wasn't your sh- your first short film was in japanese yeah yeah sorry yeah so there yeah, that was um well that was because i was just obsessed with japanese cinema yeah. and i used to run a website i used to do reviews for japanese cinema called yeah. jpreview.com great way, 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 but you might have yeah 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 they were the Are best they still re- out there? The, no, no no the site's defunct now sure. i might i might have i might have the entire website on a floppy disk yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. so long ago it was you know it was in its infancy um, they were the best review, written reviews in the world, um, but yeah, uh, I, I just loved doing it, and I, lo- I was obsessed with Japanese cinema, yeah. so I, I used to review films all the time. It was one of these situations where I was learning Japanese anyway, because uh, my wife's family are Japanese Indonesian, sure. and I'd been took an interest in Japanese culture, because I was so interested in the films and the cinema, I wanted to learn the language. And so I was learning at a university, then I'd do night courses, classes and that, but then at the same time, I would meet one of the students from, from the university there and we would sit down and chat for an hour or two and she would help me do conversational Japanese. Great. And then I just mentioned to him passing, I said, oh, I've written this Japanese samurai short story, da, da, da. and I gave her the script to read. Well, before I knew it then, she was like, oh, a few of her friends were interested in maybe being in it. And I was like, oh, wait, oh, I didn't know I was going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> and then so suddenly it was like, I'm never going to have this opportunity again. Yeah. So it was get the script translated into Japanese, um, get the cast, all like Japanese students mm. who just happened to be based in Cardiff. Thank God, a lot cheaper. Um, and then it was like, it was the weirdest thing then where I bought one sort of like um, Hakama type outfit, mm. samurai outfit from like some fancy dress place in Japan. Yeah. So I got that imported. And then my mom, my mum then to go off and get loads of material so she could make multiple versions of it and take the stitch and take the details, take That's the shape fantastic. of it. She went off and made loads of oh. these like the outfits, all the outfits were made by her. I, I, I got her to give her credit because I don't yes. think I gave her enough credit at the time but she really, really went above and beyond in order yeah. for me to help make that thing. That's cool. That's and it really was cool. just, you know, yeah. kendo swords off eBay. Um, <laughs> But really, so, that's yeah. what that's a warm up for once you're in Indonesia and the translating, and then getting obviously making yeah. the, the the three films you made there in Indonesia. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing because it was like, with the exception of Footsteps, every project then from like the short film before with Samurai one, and then Maranto, the Raid, and the Raid two, and then parts of VHS two, because um, some of that was in English, but yeah. parts of VHS two. My script, everything I'd written was being read back to me in a foreign language. It was the weirdest thing because it was like you know, it's you you kind of you you listen for that intonation and you're almost like the scripts are almost like the subtitles there. Mm -hmm. So while I'm watching the performances on the screen, I had the benefit out in Indonesia of having great a great assistant director named Plontong, who was like in charge of all the fighters. so much fun like he's crazy he's absolutely crazy but he'd be great with the performances yeah. performances and he'd be great at sort of like working with the actors with me so he knew what I wanted and then he would go off and give them those notes I lent on people a lot out mm. there for that but I think when it came to something like the Ray 2 then for a lot of the actors by the time we got to the Ray 2 a lot of those actors they were all fluent in English yeah, so like Oka okay. uh, uh, Alex Julie Iko at that point had really good English yeah. but then also you know in respect of that my 
in uh, Arifin as well, sorry, but in respect to that, my Indonesian was starting to get better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and weirdly, the Indonesian pushed the Japanese out of my head. Yeah. So now my Japanese sucks, but my Indonesian is better. Indonesian is pretty good. Yeah. Well, it's been about six years now since now, I've yeah. needed to use it. So yeah, maybe it's not so good yeah. anymore, but yeah, I'll find out. It's the butterfly style. You went out there on an, uh, on an assignment. You, you had a job there to... To film a documentary, is that correct? Yeah, so um, I mean, I mean, no bones about it. I think the project came as a result of my wife, really, because I was working Your on. Your wife is from Indonesia. From Indonesia, yes. yeah, and basically uh, through her contact back in Jakarta, I, she she knew that what I wanted to do was was filming. Yeah, yeah. And after footsteps, um, which was you know small, little, small, independent, mm. low budget film, didn't really you know set the world alight. She could see me kind of drifting back into the sort of the, the comfort and security of what I was doing for my, my nine to five. Yeah. And then this opportunity came up where they were looking for somebody to direct a documentary. They wanted a foreign eye um, and that it was to do with martial arts. And back then it was like, well, you're kind of into martial arts, aren't you? You're kind of interested in that. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I grew up watching a lot of Kung Fu movies, yeah. you know what I mean? And I kind of sort of practiced a little bit before, but not much when I was a child. Yeah. Um, and then when it came to the documentary, it was like, it was almost like it was offered on a plate. So I think I got very, very fortunate with that. Mm. So I think it was like through, it's a lot of it was through who you know. Yeah. And but it so, seems like it was almost destiny in a, in a way. Yeah. I, 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 when I look back now on the sort of the steps that led to me getting to where I am now. Yeah. So much of it is just like, uh, if I hadn't, you know, if, 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 the, if me and my wife hadn't met. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I wouldn't have really known anything about potentially Indonesian culture yeah. to the degree which which I know it now. Yeah, um, and so I went out there to do that documentary. Um, and she was my production manager on it, so she was kind of like helping run the, the ship. Yeah, Matt came out to help operate one of the cameras. Great. I operated the, the B camera. He operated the A camera because he's better at it, <laughs> and he's continued to be better at record. it. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he knows that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we went out, and it was basically it was a six month job where we went out, we recced, we researched, yeah, we shot for like five six weeks, traveled to five different parts of Indonesia, yeah. which was fascinating to go to Sumatra, to go into Jakarta, to go into West Java, um, uh, Chianjur, and all these amazing places, and 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 meet these incredible people mm. that their lives had been touched by Silat in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it wasn't purely about the martial art, uh, you know, as it as it as a sort of as a as a self defense or a philosophy. It was about how we can function in society as well. Mm. Mm. So we 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 really really learned a I learned a huge amount in that process. You know, far more than just the the benefit of meeting the people I've met. Yeah, you know, that have come course. into my life and the work I've done since. But you know, seeing Silat being used as a as a tool for rehabilitation for people with drug and alcohol addiction. Mm. It was absolutely amazing to kind of be in this one place. It was just it was, it was fascinating. But then, you know, obviously the, 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 the other side of it is that it introduced me to people like, you know, Edwell, who was, you know, one of the choreographers for Marantau, Yayan and um, Iko mm. um, and Chechep as well. Yeah. Who I'd met in the process of doing that documentary, who was somebody who was just like 
blew our minds, but we just couldn't figure out a way where to put him in, yeah. in, in the first two films. <laughs> the, the thing is, they all they've got such screen presence. Yeah. You must have felt when you met them, got to know them, because Ico was working as a driver or something. He was, yeah, he? he was like a delivery guy a delivery for a phone guy. company. So yeah. he'd be like, you know, shipping letters and documents back and forth between yeah. offices. Um, you know, and I remember when we first met him, all of our research footage kept focusing on him. We all zoomed in on him. We yeah. all were like, oh, this kid's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, back then he was, like, super skinny. He wasn't, like, yeah. buff or anything like that. He hadn't gone into his movie style looks sure, like he's got sure. now. But um, back then he was, just, like, this skinny kid that did see that. But he just had a, there was something about his eyes. Mm. And you couldn't take your eyes off him. Yeah. And I was like, this kid's amazing. And then, you know, we, we did a test with him. We never were going to include him in the documentary. And I don't think we did. But we just spent an afternoon shooting with him where it was like, oh, um, we're going to just film you driving your car. And then we're going to take you to, you're going to take us to your office, you're going to walk us through there. We just film you, it's like observational stuff. So just keep a straight face, just pretend like you're doing that. And, you know, take your seat at your desk and just do what you would normally do. And, you know, while we're filming him, obviously what you don't see is behind the camera, all of his mates are kind of ribbing him and trying to shout and make him laugh. Um, And he kept straight, he kept a straight face and he was focused and he was like really like, you know, Mm. you know. He had like a he had a focus to him that you don't normally see. Yeah. And so I remember saying to to Maya, I was like, oh, "This kid's got an amazing, you know, raw potential here. Yeah. I think we could do something with him. I think we could do something that's really good for the martial art as well as him." Yeah. And so that led us to do Maranto then on TV. See that was basically some mystical bullshit thing where it'd be like people jumping up and turning into a panther or mm. you know or shooting fireballs yeah. and stuff like that. And it was kind of like it was kind of felt disrespectful our first announcement that we were going to do a CLAT film was derided you know it was because it was it was seen as nothing to be taken seriously yeah yeah that um, was in Indonesia yeah in Indonesia okay. and and you know some people didn't like the idea of <laughs> of a foreign filmmaker touching something that was close to their culture I guess they thought I'd be disrespectful to it mm. but I just looked at it how much more disrespectful could I be compared to the way the TV had treated it yeah yeah um, also, I was Dutch back then for some reason. No one could, no one could say Gareth or Wales. I was Gerard from the Holland for some weird reason. I don't know what I was about. Colonial thing, yeah. I think. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I kind of, yeah, we, 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 we set it up and we worked very much under the radar. No one really took it seriously, took us seriously. Mm-hmm. So we took it seriously, but nobody else took us seriously. And we just went off and made this film. And then when it came out, you know, Maranto didn't do a huge amount for us on an international level. Yeah. I know there were fans of it. I knew, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew we had a release here and a release in, in the US and that people kind of you know, responded to it and we definitely rode the coattails of like on back in terms mm-hmm. of being able to be considered like, oh, here's, here's the sort of the, the next place in Southeast Asia gotcha. which can do martial arts yeah, films. Yeah, yeah. But um, locally, it actually got received quite well. Like it didn't blow the box office wide apart like we hoped it would. Yeah. But... Um, people were very pleased with the film because I think in, at least in the Indonesian cut because in the international cut it's about 25 minutes shorter and right. in the Indonesian cut, cut sorry there's um, there's a lot more um, and, and a lot more of that is front front facing it's like it's like it's all in the beginning the first 30-40 minutes where mm-hmm. we added a lot more cultural elements in there yeah, yeah. so a lot more about the traditions mm-hmm. um, you know things that meant something to the to the to the local audience there. You must have had a vision there for, you know, how you wanted to approach the action. Yes, and it 
Amaranto, to be honest, like, I mean, Amaranto, we did a lot of long takes, longer than I would do now. Yeah. Um, and I think that I learned that as a result of Amaranto. I learned that mainly because Mike Leader told me I was doing something wrong. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Because we were burning them out. We were right. burning everyone yeah, yeah. out because it was like, like Just you can fight two or three people in a take, but not every take. Yeah. And then instead of fighting six people in one shot where the moves get sloppier, mm. you know, um, and you can see it. And also, if I'm so wide and just floating with the camera around, then there's nowhere to hide some of the sloppiness yeah, and everything yeah. else. And so, so, you know, some of the stuff, some of the stuff in Miranto, like we were talking earlier about, like looking back on your work, and then yeah. there's, there's a lot in Miranto that I watch and I'm like, oh. Could have, if I did that now, I know exactly what I do differently. Sure. Yeah. You know, shot by shot, cut yeah, by yeah. cut, the the methodology of it, you know, and stuff like that. When we designed the choreography, I I, I spent time with them when they're designing it. So I want to know the method up behind everything. Yeah. I want to know why, why why are you going for that wrist block there? Tell me why. Mm. So I can see if there's something about your body shape or body movement that's interesting for me on a visual level yeah. that I want to capture with the camera. Yeah. So yeah. I need to understand it to that level yeah. and that degree so that I can be like, oh, okay, so why are you doing this? Right, okay, so if the camera's here, I can see that. Or or I can see now that you're going to notice that his leg's going for you and that's why you've blocked it. Okay, mm. now I get it. Yeah. If I understand it from yeah. that level of detail, yeah. then I can now show you who yeah. is not in the room with me for six months figuring out but I can show you something that feels like you understand the fight just the other week I was with Jude and Chris and we were just sitting around chatting there's a piece of choreography in the raid too right Yeah. that um, I knew was hokey when we shot it but they have flagged it up every single time which is <laughs> which there's way? a bit in the warehouse where Ika's got all these guys chasing after him and he's like he's fighting he's driven a car through there yeah. and all this yeah. shit's happened yeah. and then he gets up and he picks up these two empty water, you know, the, yeah. what you call them, the water jugs you get, like, you know, the, the water cooler jugs, yeah, yeah, the yeah. two empty ones. And he grabs, he just like hurls them at these guys who were coming at him just to kind of get them to disperse a bit, yeah, right? Yeah. And what happened is that one of the guys who gets like clattered with one of them, then he was supposed to get clattered, but then Saitem still chase after Rico so that Rico could then pull a big wall of shelf units yeah, on top yeah, of yeah, the yeah. three other people who were coming there. And that was supposed to be the thing that took him out. But for some reason, this guy acted like he got knocked out by this empty water cooler right. thing, the jug. And so ever since then, they've always take the, taken the piss out of that one piece of choreography. So if we're walking past anywhere and there's like an empty water cooler, the two of them are always like, whoa, 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 watch out, watch out. Yeah. Those things are dangerous. Those things are lethal. Oh, you've got guts. I'm going to bury you alive and jump on your head to revenge our sister. The raid was a sort of means to an end. Yeah. Is that fair to say? You wanted to make the raid two, what turned out to be the raid two. Yeah. In order to get the financing for that, it was almost, well, you know, we've kind of, we can do this other project that will hopefully get us to that movie that yeah. we want to make. Is that is that? Yeah, true? it's pretty close. It's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, what happened was the raid two in its very first incarnation was going to be uh, a juvenile delinquent school film. Right. So it wasn't a prison movie film. Okay. It was a juvenile delinquent school film where the kid from the school had been recruited into the mob. Right. Um, and he was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't an undercover cop. Yep. None of that going yep. at all. And then what happened was that film, we could not get made for love nor money. Mm. Money. We could not afford to do it. It was too big a budget. This was after Mar- Maranto and After Maranto. Yeah, yeah. So okay. after Maranto and I'd written this thing and it was just called Barandal back mm-hmm. then which mm-hmm. became the subhead in yeah, for course, the Ray yeah. 2. And then one of the investors, this private investor, um, Iran, as I call him, lovely guy, runs a, 
time watch shop in Indonesia and he was very supportive of us from the beginning and um, he was he just came out and he said look I can't I can't justify spending that much money mm. but here's what I'll spend and he gave me a number and then he was like if you've got a film that you can make which would come in at that number then let's talk then and that was incentivized me then I was like okay give me a minute give me a bit give me some time because I knew I didn't want to change Brandle that much mm, yeah. so I still wanted to make it as it was yeah. and then what happened was I started writing this other thing then and that was The Raid um, and I was a big fan of like you know Assault and Precinct 13 and um, you know Rio Bravo and then um, I took a look at uh, Peace Hotel which was the Chiron Fat film yeah. and I was like well what if what if this was a high rise and what if it is off limits to cops and this SWAT team going there and they need to infiltrate because they need to take the boss down but then they get locked in mm. and I was like that's fun and I remember thinking like we can make that quite cheap because then I can keep that all in the studio space yeah, yeah it's a single set and side. we can build a corridor set and yeah. then we just change the numbers on the doors yeah, and that's 6th yeah. floor 7th floor 8th floor we yeah. went back and we said this is what we want to do and he was like alright cool yeah go ahead yeah. and make it and I was like alright great so we went off and started making the raid yeah. and in the process of making the raid I think we were probably like about a month or two into the making of it I might remember this wrong now. I might have been doing the writing process but I'm pretty sure it was when we were shooting it that uh, at one point on one day I was looking at it and I was like that Brandel script would probably be better if it was the guy was the, an undercover cop and then I started like tweaking that script and I was like what if that was what if this was an undercover cop and then what if it's this cop and then it was like and then, and then I started doing that. <gasps> so then when we were shooting the raid one then I started tweaking the end script so then Tama's last speech to the cop was mentioning about Reza and a few other yeah corrupt cops who were yeah. superseding you, and so I was able to sow the seeds in and be like ah see so that guy Razor who we mentioned the first one was intentional da 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 <laughs> and now he's going to be this this dodgy cop in part two and yeah. you know, Eco is going to be Eco's character is going to come out from there and they're going to wash that thing clean as if nothing ever happened Yeah, yeah. and in order for him to be able to infiltrate the real corruption which is the police department yeah. Yeah. and so so that that became like the leaping off point and then so I knew then that once we finished shooting the raid one, um, that I would then be going straight in and starting to retrofit the script that already existed. Yeah. And probably, to be quite honest, I probably threw away about 60, 70% of it. The feedback on the raid, I know we touched yeah. on it earlier. I love the review from Bradshaw in The Guardian. I don't know if you uh, read that one. Five-star review. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, yeah I'm, I'm, a, I'm a horrible, horrible sort of like... Do you read those reader. things? Yeah, 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 I read okay. them all. Yeah. It's a weird thing. I read, read everything, which is really annoying because it's, it's such a cliche to say it, but the good stuff stays with you for about yeah. five, ten seconds. The bad stuff stays with you for weeks. Right. It's awful. Yes. <laughs> it's the worst. Uh, he compares you to Park Chan-wook, um, Quentin Tarantino, John Carpenter, uh, fluent, muscular, uninhibited. Um, just th- across the board, the raid is sort of held up as a, I mean, it is, it's a modern martial arts classic. You made a classic. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird feeling. It's like, like you know, I, 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 I hear the, the, the names of those three directors and just feel like, yeah. Maybe in twenty years' time, I might reach <laughs> yeah. that level. Is that, that's how you feel. Yeah, I mean, I, it's that thing. I can't. I've always felt like it's that thing. It's the same. Like, like when I said, about, you know, feeling like a charlatan because Judaism and encyclopedic knowledge of Hong Kong cinema. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, I'll be in if I'm ever in a room with another director. I'm just 
painfully aware of all of my artifice yeah. and, I, and it's almost I feel like oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an imposter in the room here it's a weird feeling it's mm-hmm. like you know I, 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 none of us expected the first film to get the reaction it did yeah, yeah. Um, so it's yeah it's, 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 it's really humbling to kind of see the traces of it still now in certain films. It's or, still referenced. Yeah. You know, or we want this bit to be like the raids. There's still there's a remake of the raid happening, which I'm sure you're aware of. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> but it changed. No, it's changed its name now, hasn't it? Yeah, fa- as a fascinating turn of events. That yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the, are you involved? In, you're not no, in. no, 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 no. In all fairness, Joe, 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 and uh, Frank, yeah. when they were first on board to do the official remake of it, back when it was official. Um, they were very polite and, and called me up for their blessing and I was like saying to them, guys, I mean, you know, I as a fan, I'm excited to see what you bring to it. Yeah. Because for me, it was like, it's the framework for, you know, inventive action set pieces. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, you know, it's not Shakespeare. It's like, it's, a, it's an opportunity for people to go absolutely crazy with it and, you know, you can come up with all sorts of different things. I know there were things that we wanted to do on the first raid that we just couldn't because we didn't have the budget for yeah, it. Yeah. There were ideas and, and little stunt set pieces that I was like, oh, we could do this. And then it comes to the realization of what that costs. And then you're like, maybe we do it a bit smaller. Yes. You know, yes. But, you know for, for, for Joe to kind of go off and do something like that would have been incredible. So, yeah. 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 Anyway, I don't know what they're going to do next. We'll I don't know how that's going to turn out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting approach, but yeah, we'll see. Shouting Shen will soon be dead. I've laid an ambush for him. Filthy traitor! Did you think when you were making the Raid 2, this is probably the end? What was your thinking well, there? Well, the Raid 2 was like, um, <laughs> in the most um, selfish, <laughs> self-indulgent way possible, it was the one time where I got given sort of the, the keys and just being told to do what I want. Yeah. Because no one was really going to sort of like step in the way of that one because yeah. A, it was, <laughs> it was my own production company so yeah. <laughs> it'd be me to tell me no. Yeah. Um, but it was just that everything was a bit bigger. The The world was more expansive. Um, we knew, I knew I wanted to do something different. I didn't, I didn't want to do the whole thing of like, oh, it's another building or, yeah. you know, or it's a one-story building. Yeah. No, you know, I knew it had to be something very, very different. And so, we decided to expand the story, expand the action, the scope of it, and where we would take it. So out in the streets, vehicle work, um, shootouts, all of that yeah, stuff we wanted yeah. to throw into there. The um, car chase. The car chase Fantastic. was, yeah, that, thank God for Bruce Law. Um, what an amazing team yeah. he has, and he brought a lot to it um, and executed everything to a T for us. You know, we, we, did, we had a really great experience working with him. Um, and then, you know, but it was that thing of, how do we do something different? Because we couldn't do, we couldn't do like a Fast and the Furious type car sure. chase. You know, yeah. We wouldn't yeah. have the budget. You know, they, you know, I saw one Fast and Furious film, it was probably the one with Joe in it, where I think somebody rode a tank over like seven cars in the yeah. space of five seconds. Sure. And I was like, shit, we didn't have seven cars for the entire sequence. And we had six total <laughs> yeah. for that whole sequence where if one got trashed, the next one would come in. And then if that one got trashed, that's it. So, you know, we were on tent hooks every single day of the shoot yeah. for that yeah. stuff, you know. Um, and so, so yeah, doing a car chase was was nerve wracking, mm. but thrilling. And we had to find our way to do it. We had to find yeah. a way that we could do what we would normally do. Find those little um, camera tricks. We do a lot of camera tricks to hide 
the more gonzo feeling stunt elements. Mm. So mm. we make it look a lot more dangerous than it actually is. Yeah. So yeah. when a car, you know, smashes straight into a brick wall and then the guy's body flies through the brake and windscreen and lands on the bonnet, yeah. that's four shots stitched together. You know, it's a car smashing into a wall where a guy's belted in as tight as he could possibly be with all yeah. of the sort of roll cage stuff going on in there. Then the camera's locked off and then, then we break the window open and then just throw silicon glass at the bonnet. Yeah. That's another element. And then the third element is a stunt guy then who's just stood on the seat and then throws himself through the hole in the in the windscreen sure. and lands on the bonnet. And that's all it was. It was yeah. just like but you know, but when you're watching on a run, you're like, Oh my god, did that guy smash a car and project himself out yeah. through the, the And with the well, sound as well, you use exactly. so well in your films. Yeah, and that's down to Fada and Ogi, the boys yeah. who did the, the score and also the sound mix for those films. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, their attention to detail and you know, we kept pushing them and pushing them and pushing mm. them this and then obviously the guys at Skywalker who did the sound mix actually for yeah. the Ray Two. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, they, it was such a, a great attention to detail on all of those things that it just all comes together. And you know, and I wouldn't, you know, I don't. I think one of the unsung heroes as well is is uh, Andy Novianto, who's my VFX guy out in Indonesia. Yeah, he has like saved us so many times just by pulling things out of the bag all yeah. the time. Where it's like. You know, I'd be like, I'm so sorry, I haven't got any tracking markers, but here's four shots. Can you make them all look as one? And then he's like, yeah, yeah, I told you to put markers on. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, but we ran out of time. Well, we couldn't be bothered to do it. Yeah. Can you just fix it for me, please? And, and Andy's fixed it so many times mm. for us. Mm. Like he's, he's been an absolute trooper and an unsung hero across all of those films yeah. and everything I've done with yeah. him. So, yeah. And now we'll see how good you are. You're quite a humble guy. Um, Sometimes. So <laughs> But, you know, what keeps your feet on the ground? Um, friends and kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've, never, I've never looked to make the move out to where the industry is at all. So we went, when I remember saying I was going to leave Jakarta, um, I think my agents were all kind of excited about the prospect. Of, oh, great. So when you come in here, yeah. I was like, mm, I'm not going to go to L.A. Um, I'm going I'm to go as far as I could possibly be from any part of the industry. So I went further west into West Wales, sorry. Mm. And so um, for me, it was like, I'm not even in London. I'm not even in Cardiff, you know what I mean? So I'm a little further away from the industry in that respect. And it just keeps me, I like normality. I've not ever been like flashy as a person. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I like the fact that, I like the fact that one of my, one of my close friends um, when I showed him the trailer for Gangs, like his first reaction, because he just knows that he can take the piss constantly, yeah. he said, like, oh, oh, thank fuck, it's not like Apostle. You know, that's the first thing he said to me. Like, and I was like, oh, okay, great. You know what I mean? And then, and then when I did the raid, it was like, oh, thank fuck, there's nothing like foot, footsteps, like the first thing I did. So, like, you know, he, that, it, it's good to have friends that just don't really care or give sure. a shit about what you do because yeah. they just pull you back down exactly. to earth exactly. and it's like, there's nothing re- you know we're not we're not curing diseases yeah. there's nothing really that special about what yeah. we do it's just that I get to enjoy doing what I do and, and, and that's do you it, really. fear that if you were to make that step and maybe you will will make that step eventually to you know move out to Los Angeles or whatever do you foresee a future there where maybe no be part not of that? really no not really I think I think like for me it's like I found a sweet spot in terms of what I like doing in terms of what I like creating and as long as I can keep the the wheels moving on yeah. projects like that I know where I'm best suited I know what my budget range should be sure. for the films I want to make and yeah. the things I want to do and I think once I go to a certain level above that that's when you know 
the films stop being the films that I want to give all of my heart to. Yeah. And I feel like if I start doing that, then that'll be the tipping point then. And yeah. I, anyway, it's like, I don't want to ever be in a situation where I look back on 10 years of my career and then think, oh, how did I get to here? Where where did something go wrong? Did I did I did I derail from the path I wanted to keep? Mm. Um, and and I guess in a way, it's always just hoping that whatever it is that I choose to do next, that there are enough people that want to see that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you can never really guarantee that, but yeah. you know, just try your best, really. Do you see yourself maybe uh, branching off into other genres at some point? Um, yeah, I think I would love to do. Um, it's a lot of different films I'd love to end up doing at some point. I'd love to do, I need to do a family adventure film. Yeah. I'd love to do that Something for my kids. kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have not done that yet. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to do that. I've always said I'd love to do a musical at some point. Um, going wow. back into action, weirdly, Western. I'd love to do a Western. Yeah. I think every filmmaker wants to make a Western at some yeah. point. Yeah. But I, 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 and I think, I think I've come up with an idea that would be really unique for a Western. So, you know, I, I said I wouldn't do one until I come up with something that's a good idea for it. But uh, I've been talking to Chris, Chris Webb again about, about a Western idea and he seems to be quite taken by it. So we're going to develop a little something on that at some sure. point as okay. well. Fantastic. But yeah. We'll look forward to that. Gareth, thank you so much for your time Thank today. you very much. Appreciate it's really it. cool. Thank you. Nice one. Gareth Evans there. Wonderful stuff. Such a nice, easygoing guy and undoubtedly, in my opinion, at least one of the best and most exciting British directors that we do have working right now. I'm a huge fan of his work, obviously, and uh, that was an absolute blast to be able to sit with him and record that conversation. We did actually end up being kicked out of that room that we were in at the Actors Centre because we'd been talking for so long so uh, I do hope you enjoyed listening to that Gangs of London is his latest project there are nine episodes of the show and they will all land on Sky Atlantic here in the UK on the 23rd of April that's this Thursday I will undoubtedly be binge watching that the second that it lands it looks tremendous and I'm super excited to see what Gareth and Matt and Jude have all cooked up for that show. You can, of course, keep up to date with all the latest Gareth Evans news by following Gareth on social media. He is on Instagram under the name at Evans. Okay, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the show. Don't forget our competition. We've got a great competition this month, which runs until the 30th of April. We've teamed up with Eureka Entertainment here in the UK to give away Blu-rays of their new release of Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain. It's such a wonderful film and it's great that Eureka have put this package together and given the film a high definition presentation which is what it deserves sign up to our newsletter at kungfumovieguide.com to take part in this month's competition and remember if you do have any questions at all or any feedback or just something that you want to get off your chest and share with us whatever it is send it our way we do love to hear from you the email address is, as always, hello at kungfumovieguide.com. Okay, a huge thank you to Gareth for meeting up with me and chatting to me for this episode of the show. And a huge thank you to you for listening all the way to the very end. Thank you so much. 
As I said earlier, I do hope that these shows act as some kind of light relief during this particularly stressful time. I will be back with a new episode of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast in two weeks' time. In the meantime, take care, wash your hands, stay inside, follow whatever guidance it is that you're currently being told, help your neighbours, and most of all, stay safe wherever you are. I will see you next time on the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Until then, take care and bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>